Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm. Um, you probably noticed that my voice is gone again. It's because there was another hockey game last night. Um, and this is just, you know, the, the world that we live in until the Avs win the cup, which probably won't even take that long considering how things are going. Um, but yeah, uh, today, like I said on uh, Saturday, we are talking about the UCLA game. I went back, watched the whole thing, took some notes, um, and then went and checked out some of the stats, too, just to see what they had to say about the game. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's the plan for today. Going to start by digging in with the offense. She'll include Carl Durrell's interesting decision to throw Tyler Lytle into the game. Despite being up, like, 20, we think it was 21-7, to 7, with Sam Neuer looking like everything you could have ever hoped for him to look like. Um... So yeah, getting to that, obviously Jarek Broussard's breakout. Uh, this is this is one of the, I mean, the only game we got to see uh, a full game from Brady Russell. Got a lot of thoughts about uh, him and how he was used. Um, it's a lot of fun just going back and rewatching this. You forget so much over the course of like like what I last watched this game probably like a couple of days after it happened in November. It's fun to go back. There's a lot you forget. Um, and then defensively, uh, talk a little bit about Mustafa, who I thought had a really great game. Um, some notes on some linebackers. Uh, and, uh, yeah, some Christian Gonzalez talk, too. You remember early in the season, that's when basically the other team's game plan was to pick on Christian Gonzalez. And in the UCLA game, that was, that was the very obvious plan. And... What happened in that game was the reason that continued to be the plan for other teams in the ensuing weeks. Um, because, you know, actually the stats say, like, uh, Christian, uh, he was targeted five times and gave up one catch. But you watch the game, and there's a, a little bit of a different story of what's going on out there. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's the plan for today. I'm excited. Uh, and uh, before we jump in, with this offense and Jerry Broussard and all that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the presenting sponsor of this podcast, the Colorado XOs. The Colorado XOs are a rugby team based in Glendale, Colorado. They train at the Rugby Town National Training Center, the home of the USA Eagles men's and women's 15s teams. Um, those are just the U.S. national teams, and the idea is to get the, the players from the XOs onto those U.S. national teams. The cool part is that those players actually have never played rugby before this season. And so this is all very new to them. Things are going really well. And uh, it's a fun project to follow along with. So if you can follow along with DNVR Rugby on Twitter, the DNVR Rugby podcast, or by reading the written content at thednvr.com. All right. Um, where do you even start? I think uh, we got to start with Jarek. He is just... So good. You know, it, it surprised me going back. Like, I had forgotten that he actually returned the opening kickoff. You know, he, he wasn't seen as some guy who, like, like obviously your kick returner is usually somebody very fast, somebody explosive. Maybe he can make some guys miss. Um, big play potential. Jarek checks all those boxes. Also, though, usually your kick returner is somebody who, if they get hit really hard on a kick return, which happens a whole lot, it isn't the end of the world if they aren't able to play for the rest of the game. You know, it's it's a dangerous job, and you typically don't risk 
you know, the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year there. Obviously, at the time, they had no idea he'd be that guy. We'd heard through camp that he was explosive, that he was going to be uh, exciting to watch, and that he had been exciting for everybody in camp. Well, pretty quickly, he stopped returning the kicks because uh, it was obvious just how important he was to the offense. Um, I should pull up just like these these normal numbers as well. Um, but he, from the start, was just running so hard. And again, that's what really sticks out with Jarek. There's there's the speed, there's the shiftiness, you know, the way that he can make, make guys miss in the hole. But just the way that he hits the hole in the first place is what's so impressive. You know, a, a lot of those little speed guys... That's what they are. They're speed guys. But he has the ability to turn that speed into power and just run guys over. And and you don't expect it. You know, those first couple of tackles he breaks, you know, I was trying to put myself in the mindset of having never seen him play before. It's surprising. And he breaks some big runs for himself because of it. Um, finished with 31 carries, 187 yards, three touchdowns. I think, yeah, Jaron Mangum got a touchdown as well in goal line work. That easily could have just been another touch for Jarek, and he would have gotten in. The, the vision, too. You know, one of those touchdowns, it's, it's like a run to the right, a stretch run to the right. All the blockers are moving right, and there's actually blitzers coming off the left edge. They take a bit of a wide angle, though. Jarek takes like a step to the right, and then just bang. He's all the way back on the other side of the line, just wide open, walking into the end zone. You know, he's he's so explosive in in just those first two steps after he changes direction. He can get all the way up to top speed, and that's a quality you don't see very often. Honestly, like, Phil Lindsay, not a terrible comp. Um, maybe just a little bit more shiftiness for, for Jarek. Um, the quick feet make him miss just a little bit more, but the way that they hit the hole so hard and get up to speed so fast – and they are fast and a little bit undersized, but it goes well for them because they can just bounce off of guys. It's rare. Um, obviously, to be able to hit the hole hard, there needs to be a hole. And the offensive line, for the most part, played very, very well. It was interesting, though, because it, it seemed like either everything was perfect and you're just like, oh, yeah, they're just dominating them. Or, like, once every six or seven plays – every defensive lineman is in the backfield. And it's like, wait, how, how is it always one or the other of these two things where everything's smooth and ev something's wide open for Jarek or, you know, things don't work out. And I guess some of that might be like communication, that kind of stuff. I'd actually be curious going back and looking um, because they ran some different things in terms of how they were blocking. Um I'm not sure what these total snaps are. It's got to be something like 60% zone blocking, 40% uh, – uh, sorry, uh, gap blocking. And now that I'm thinking about it, I would be curious to go back and watch, like, is this a, a thing? Like, like that one was working better than the other. Um, the pro football focus grades, it looks like – it looks pretty similar, so I don't know that that's it. Um, but let's get into so, – so here's the thing about the pro football focus grades. Um, there's value there for sure, but you have to remember what they're measuring. What they're measuring is not how good you are as a football player. It's how well you did your job. We'll take like a Broncos example. I saw like the Broncos Twitter account hyping up today that like – uh, Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell, the inside linebackers, according to Pro Football Focus, they're the best duo in the NFL. And it's like, well, yeah, because they aren't asked to cover Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller and the other tight ends in the division around the league. They're asked to stop the run, and they're good at that. Would you rather have somebody who you could at least try to put on Travis Kelsey, even if you aren't great at it because it's a tough thing to do? Yeah, you probably would. And so that's important to keep in mind. And on top of that, it's not even how good you are at what you are supposed to do. It's how good you are at what the pro football focus greater thinks you're supposed to do, which can tweak things just a little bit more. So those like the, the one to 100 grades, not too big a fan of those, but some of the other stats they track, I think are much more valuable. Um, 
and we're gonna we're gonna look at this rushing direction thing. Um, so it'll, it'll tell you based on every single hole from the left end to the left tackle guard all the way through um, to the right side. And then there's other stuff too, like jet sweeps and all that, and break down what happened when they ran those places based on, you know, the, the number of attempts, the yards, the touchdowns, the first downs, all that kind of stuff. And the reason I want to get into this is because when you look at just runs by the running backs, um, what you find is where they were most efficient is running to the left side of the center. Eight carries, 62 yards. They were next most efficient to the left side of the left guard, the next hole over. Eight carries, 48 yards. And then you go to the left end, which is like outside the, the tight end. So there's there's it skips the gap. Still moving left, though. Seven carries, 36 yards. And then to uh, the left tackle, the other hole on the left side with a, a 4.8 yards per carry, six for 29 then you get into the right end. Then you get up the middle on the right on those other spots. But there is a pretty drastic change depending on whether the buffs were running left or right. And, you know, I'm not going to dig too deep. I, I would guess, now that I think of it, that Oso Digazua, the, the defensive end who... Did, did he get drafted by the Cowboys, maybe? Um, I guess that maybe, like, he was lined up on the right. So it isn't necessarily, like your best offensive linemen are going to be blocking the holes where you're most effective. That's like half of it where the defense is and all that kind of stuff that also matters. But you know, this, this kind of gets you back into that Will Sherman conversation. Um, he's gone. Now you've got Frank Phillip flipping from right tackle to left tackle, and you've got somebody filling in at right tackle as well. What does that change for CU? Is that going to be a big problem? You know, I still don't think that that's something that you're overly concerned about going forward. You know, it sucks to lose Will Sherman. You, you lost an NFL offensive lineman. That's definitely going to hurt. You also keep four of your starters, and you've added some pieces, plus you had a couple of young guys you're trying to develop who can compete for that right tackle job. You should expect, you know, those four starters to get better. Maybe not Frank Phillip because he's he might be focused more on the technique change. You know, everything just reversed. You know, you're dropping with the other foot. They're, the the left arm is the one where you're trying to extend and not let guys around the outside and compare to your right. Things, things are different. And, and tweaking how you play to, to fit that new position, that might be more so what his offseason's about rather than guys like Colby Purcell and Casey Roddick and Kari Cooch and all them working on developing their game. So do you expect them to have a better offensive line, a worse offensive line? I'd say it's probably a, a touch worse. You lost Will Sherman, but there's a lot of potential for it to be better. Um, and then this game kind of shows the impact. You know, it's obviously not all will, but when you look at how successful they were running to the left in this game, it's, it's tough not to think about Will Sherman and, the, the the loss that he will be this season. Um, any other offensive line stuff? I mean, not really. Um, it's I guess it's worth mentioning. Like uh, I don't think Sam got sacked. No, he he didn't get sacked. Um, he was pressured twice. One of them was a hit. One was a hurry. Hit given up by Kari Cooch. Um, pressure given up or the hurry, sorry, given up by Colby Purcell. That's a, that's a very clean game from an offensive line. Um, in terms of the rest of the running game, not many thoughts on Jaron Mangum because he, he was the number two. He's also not here anymore. He didn't do anything all that noteworthy in the game. Um, I guess that means let's get into the passing game. And there's some, like, jet sweep stuff. We'll kind of bunch that in with the passing game, too. Um First of all, Sam Neuer's first game, of course, uh, he hit his first six passes. Very sharp start. Not what you expect from a first-time quarterback, first-time starter. Those passes, for the most part, were underneath throws. He didn't stretch the field all that much. A lot of what he did was just use that big arm, pound the ball into those gaps underneath. 
he missed some. Um, not early on. It, it took a little bit before he started missing some throws. Um, we'll save one of those misses. We'll talk about uh, when uh, we get into Brady Russell. But for the most part, he, he was on target, and he threw the ball hard enough to beat the defender there. The, the one little thing you notice on those underneath throws is that he doesn't have the quickest release. You know, it, it's not like he's Tim Tebow back there doing like the whole windmill trying to get every single muscle engaged. But it does make you wonder if he could just tighten up that motion, get the ball out just a little bit quicker, you know, that that's less time for the defense to react to, to the ball. You know, in the same way that throwing the ball fast helps, getting the ball out fast helps just as much. Um, now, can he keep all that power and stay accurate? You know, I think he might even get a little bit more accurate if you tighten it up. Um, Obviously not like the, the easiest offseason for him to be making those kinds of changes. But if I were Danny Langsdorf, that's what I would be focusing on. Um, and honestly, it'll be fun to kind of go throughout the season and see what changes. You know, does he get more comfortable throwing different areas? I think like, uh, did he have a... Uh, actually, let's just pull these numbers up because uh, we're having the Sam talk. Um he, there's some interesting things in the numbers. There's some interesting things in the numbers. Um, first of all, he attempts, uh, let's say, 19, that's 21 passes that are past the line of scrimmage. Of those 21 passes, 16 between the numbers, three outside the numbers to the left, two outside the numbers to the right. So, where is he most comfortable? in the middle of the field. Um, now, there's various reasons for that. First of all, like, it, it did seem like that was open. Like, obviously, what he was doing was working. Um, also, Dimitri Stanley playing almost exclusively from the slot. I think he had one snap where he wasn't in the slot. He was working in the middle of the field. You know, you look at where his receptions were, they were mostly just underneath, right in the middle of the field. Um, and you know, maybe we can turn this into a little Dimitri Stanley tangent. He played really well. You know, there, there's like lists going around of the best receivers, college football and the Pac-12 and the West and whatever. Dimitri Stanley belongs on those lists. Um, and, and this first game makes that very obvious. Um, you know, he didn't get targeted outside the numbers once in this game. He twice behind the line of scrimmage, uh, caught both of those, picked up three yards, um, 11 of those yards after the catch. Um, three of five, five uh, zero to 10 yards downfield, again, in the middle of the field. Um, and then one of one, the, the big crosser, 10 to 20 yards down the field. And picked up five more after the catch there. He's 16 yards downfield. You know, he and Brady Russell can be dominant in the middle of the field. And if, if, if you can do that and you force the defense to kind of lean inside because they are beating you up, that's what opens things up outside. And that's what we saw in this game. You know, like I said, most of the throws that Sam was making, they were short. They were between the numbers. Um, when you look at where he, like, the numbers would say he was most successful, it's down the field. Um, you know, let's see. So when he's, when he's throwing the ball zero to nine yards downfield, six of 13, 64 yards. It's a 46% completion, 4.9 yards per attempt. He goes to the intermediate routes, 10 to 19 yards, 4 of 6, 67 yards, and a touchdown. Then you look at the deep throws. He took two, two attempts that were 20 or more yards downfield. Both were caught, picked up 72 yards. So he was most effective when he was throwing it deeper. The reason why, though, was because he was so dominant on these short passes especially inside the numbers early in the game that forced UCLA to have to crawl up. And when you're a quarterback, that's what you want to do. You want to force them to get up close and guard everything that's up in tight because they know that if they don't, you're going to beat them because you've shown that you can do that. That's what opens things up for those deep balls. You know, Daniel Arias caught one of those. Um, Brady Russell had like the, the nice one down the sideline. Uh, Dimitri Stanley, like I said, had that deeper crosser. If you're hitting on four or five of those a game, you're in really good shape. You know, that's that's how you wind up in the game 
what, 20 of 32 for 257 yards and a touchdown. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not going to win you Pac-12 player of the week. You know, you're going to need 350 for that, another 100 yards, and that means hitting on maybe a couple more deep balls. But you have to also factor in that a lot of the time when Sam got the ball, he was running anyway, and he was running effectively. Uh, about five yards per carry, 13 carries, 64 yards, picked up a touchdown. Long of 12, just very consistently grinding away. Um, and, again, was Sam perfect? No, he missed some passes, um, and one in particular. And we'll use this to kind of get into a Brady-Russell thing. It was kind of a weird play. It's a third and six, and Brady Russell is lined up in the slot. And when I saw that, I thought, well, this is a bad idea. You know, this, is, this isn't when you need – you know, the thing about Brady Russell is that he can do so many different things. And we've talked about this before, but we haven't talked about it too much recently. You, can, you could line him up in the backfield if you wanted to and let him block. You could, you could line him up at tight end and run routes from there. You can put him in the slot and let him run routes from the slot. I was surprised going back how often they did line him up in the slot. Um, I think, let's see, I should pull these numbers up and see what they say. Um, so, again, this is according to Pro Football Focus. Brady Russell, there's a couple things that I'm, I really like about these stats. So, he was on the field for 35 passing plays. He ran routes on 30 of them. He blocked on five. I think that that's what you want. You know, I think that, you know, we use the Broncos as an example a lot. We'll do it again. One of the things that I really hate about the offense they ran last year is that there were so many plays where you only have two receivers in routes, three receivers in routes, and you're just keeping guys in the block so that you have more time to throw to guys who are never going to get open because you're not stressing the defense at all. The Buffs, I thought, did a really good job just having these just not even the most complex patterns, but just having patterns that stress a defense. You know, it's playing real football, I guess, running real passing concepts. And first of all, that's something I really like. Don't waste Brady Russell as a blocker on passing plays. Give your quarterback as many options as possible. Trust your offensive line to block. Now, if you run into issues, then yeah, you're going to have to change some things. But love what I saw there. Here's what I think is even more interesting than that. Of those 30, or yeah, let's see, what are we calling? Oh, it's the 35 total passing plays. He had 22 where he was lined up at tight end and 13 where he was lined up in the slot. It's basically, what, we'll say 2 to 1 tight end to slot, plus, you know, those those actually those five uh, blocking plays, those are probably when he's lined up at tight end. So really when he's running routes, 17 of them, from the tight end spot, 13 from the slot. And this is what you want to do is work those matchups. You know, ideally your tight end is a guy who is, is too fast to be covered by linebackers and too good of a blocker to be lined up against safeties. You know, you're winning that matchup regardless of what they do. Um, obviously, like you're not probably every play just doing what the tight end situation dictates, but that's the idea. Getting back to this play, the third and six. I thought it was weird when I watched it that they would put Brady Russell in the slot on that play because when you're looking at those matchup situations, what is the defense going to do? They aren't worried about Brady Russell as a blocker. If, if Brady Russell wants to go over, line up at tight end and block, sure, go, go ahead, run the ball on third and six and see what happens. That's what the defense absolutely wants you to do. And so by moving him to the slot, are you putting a good cover guy on him so that, you know, he isn't going to really be adding too much, especially because the slot position is the one that Sam, at least in this first game, felt the most comfortable throwing to. So are you kind of handcuffing yourself there? But then what happens is he, he runs a little past the sticks, finds, finds some space, and Sam misses him. You know, it, it was a good route. It was good work, and... I guess my complaint, it didn't really matter in the end because Brady Russell was able to get open despite the defense not having to worry about him as a potential blocker on that play. Again, Sam missed a throw. It happens. Um, 
what I think is really nice, though, especially this has been a little bit more numbers heavy than I wanted it to be. We'll get back into some of these other notes in a second. Um, but when you look at when Sam had time to throw, um, let's see. So they say about 75% of his dropbacks, he was kept clean. Completed 18 of 24 passes, 75%, and picked up 251 yards and a touchdown. When he was pressured, he had two completions on eight attempts for six yards. Kind of what you'd expect, right? Like, I mean, a little extreme for sure, but again, quarterback in his first start. When they did let him throw the ball, gave him time to throw the ball, good things generally happened. Um, on top of that, they credited uh, two of the incompletions and in both of those to drops. So there's something there as well. Um, anything else? Oh, here's here's one more thing that I really wanted to touch on with these numbers, and we'll get back into some other stuff. Um, but when you look at the average depth of target um, for these receivers, so... Um, Deepest, so so eight eight players were targeted for the buffs. The one who was targeted the deepest downfield, I bet you can guess, Daniel Arias. That's his job, to stretch the field and then go catch the ball when it gets thrown to him. So far, he's been really good at one of those things. He's been uh, not not all that good at the other. I think, so he was actually credited with two drops, um, obviously deeper downfield. Um, but he did have the, the one big catch on three targets so they all hit him in the hands 38 yards on the one that hits and again like for daniel arias to be somebody really excited to have out there the drops need to go it that is very obvious and simple and there isn't too much more to it than that there is just a little bit more to it though and that's that you target him three times and you picked up 38 yards that's that's a good number that's a good number um, and so even if the drops don't get all the way get, gotten rid of, you know, if you still have one or two that linger, it's not the end of the world. Um, just just need to keep improving in that area, and, and that will turn him into a very valuable piece, I think. Um, from there, though, next deepest average depth of target, Brady Russell, 8.6 yards downfield. Then Dimitri Stanley. 4.8 yards downfield. Brendan Rice, 2 yards downfield. Maurice Bell, 1.8. Matt Lynch, negative 1. Jarek Broussard, negative 3. Jaron Mangum, negative 4. So, I mean, it's it's what we knew, right? That, that he was completing a bunch of passes underneath. That that's where he was really looking. That's where he was doing a lot of the work. And, and we'll go through the rest of the season and talk about the rest of the season. And maybe this is a UCLA game plan thing more so than a Sam Neuer doesn't like to push the ball downfield. And again, when he did push the ball downfield, good things happen. But, you know, just kind of interesting to see that a lot of these were so close to the line of scrimmage or even behind the line of scrimmage. Part of that was the number of jet sweeps they ran um, and, and screen passes they ran. Uh, there was one beautiful screen, screen pass to Brady Russell. What happened was, like, the running back leaks out to the right. Brady Russell's lined up at tight end on the right. And Sam just stares down the running back. Brady takes like two steps out toward the running back, like upfield from him a little bit, obviously, and then cuts inside. At that point, the, the blockers have released. They're running downfield, gets the ball to Brady Russell. He didn't follow his blockers personally or perfectly. It wound up being like a, I don't even know, like a seven, eight, maybe nine yard gain. But just that sort of creativity was really fun to see. Really fun to see. Um, and it's something that obviously Brady allows you to do. You, you Tight end screens are going to catch the defense off guard when you're going to be running them once or maybe twice a game. Doesn't matter, though, if you don't have a good tight end. And having Brady back this year, I think that we're going to see more of that throughout the season. Now, some of the stuff... I didn't think worked quite as well as maybe you'd hope. Um, for example, let's let's take this play. So I think it's Dimitri Stanley lined up in the slot on the right. It's shotgun play. Jarek Broussard on the quarterback's left. And before the play, 
uh, Dimitri goes in motion behind the quarterback and running back. Ball snapped while he's back there, and it's a little RPO. I think it's an RPO. It might have just been a design screen. Sometimes it's tough to tell. But the options, if it is an RPO, either hand it off to Jarek while hopefully the defense is leaning a little bit toward the direction that Dimitri's running, and maybe there's a lane there. If that's not there, you throw a little screen pass. And what happened was the ball didn't get handed off, whether that was designed or not. Dimitri wound up being covered. And it was just like an awkward two-second play where Sam just had to stand there, look at his one option. Maybe there was a receiver going downfield. I don't know that there was. And eventually just spiked the ball. Uh, Like at the receiver's feet, not like for an intentional grounding. But, you know, there, there were a couple of those, specifically with receivers in motion, especially when they went back behind the quarterback, where it just didn't work. It just didn't work. At the same time, there were some of those creative plays, some screens to Jarek uh, that, that I thought were well-designed. You know, again, it's a first game. It's it's new stuff from a new coaching staff for a, a team that they've never coached before. And so you expect some issues. I really like the creativity. Execution? We'll give it like a it's 7 out of 10. And, and maybe a 6 out of 10. And it could be that a lot of that should be put on, you know, the, the uh, play calling or even play design more so than the execution. You know, so those sorts of things to, to look at for sure. Um, offensively, ooh, we do need to get into the Tyler Lytle stuff. Again, Dimitri Stanley just looks so nice out there. Um he gets it. He's a he's a good football player. He's so shifty. I think that we're going to see more of that this year. I think that maybe you don't need to run him on quite so many of those motions behind the line of scrimmage, which, again, I love that stuff. But he's such a good receiver that getting him into a route downfield, good things are going to happen. And it's obvious that, that Sam was very comfortable throwing to him. Um, he caught a lot of balls. He caught six balls. I... Uh, I'm really excited about him this season. I'm really excited. I'm excited about other guys too. You know, Brendan Rice, I think there's like a third down where there's a little screen pass to him. It was third and four. And he was able to like drag two tacklers and pick up three yards. Wasn't enough to get the first down, but you just see him in his first game. You're like, that's that guy's ready. That guy's that guy's body is ready. Does he need to like maybe refine the route running or do some of those sorts of things? Sure. Learn the playbook? Sure. But there's a lot of talent there, and it absolutely starts, at least as of right now, with Dimitri Stanley. Um, also, again, getting back to the Tyler Lytle thing, Tyler famously uh, came in for, I think it was just one series. Uh, when the Buffs were up 21-7 to in the second quarter, everything's going great. I mean, turns out, like, it didn't hurt or anything like that. But, you know, when you go back and watch, that's a bad coaching decision. I think that's a bad coaching decision. Is there, in the long run, could there be some benefits to, you know, letting Tyler know, hey, we do care. We want to see what you can do. We want to give you opportunities, all that kind of stuff. And not just to show Tyler, to show other guys on the team, you know, if, if, if you look like you're ready to play, we'll find a way to get you out. There. You know, th- there's something to that for sure. And... Obviously, the, what it comes down to is like a, a risk-reward type of thing. The risk, obviously, that he goes out there isn't as good as Sam, and you wind up losing the game, and you look back on that series and say, hmm, would have been nice to get points there, or would have been nice not to turn the ball over there, or whatever. It worked out in the end, and it was a gamble, I guess. But, again, I would just say it was a bad decision, and there honestly isn't too much more to it than that. Um yeah, you know, and, and I feel like coaches offensively in general, that was a mistake. We talked about some of play design. There was a lot to like, a lot to be really encouraged by, but also some things that didn't quite work out. You want to see those get tightened up as the season goes along, and then even more so in 2021 when you have a full off season to, to rebuild the things that you had to build very, very quickly. Um yeah. 
I think that's about it on offense. Um, again, I guess we haven't really talked about just like the flow of the game, but the Buffs were dominant. They went up 35-7, wound up getting to like 28-7 because of a UCLA run. Um, we'll talk about that more on the defensive side, though. Uh, before we get into the defensive side, uh, going to take a quick break and talk about uh, a couple of our great partners here at DMVR. Before we do that, I should remind everybody um, – Either today, no, today, either tomorrow or the next day is the last, either Tuesday or Wednesday, in case you're not listening to this right now. Um, Tuesday or Wednesday is going to be the last day to sign up for the golf league. I can't remember which one it is. It's going to be a lot of fun. Basically, like nine holes at a bunch of different course, courses. If some of them have free drinks, it's like eight weeks, starts June 8th, Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, you can look at the DMVR golf account. They've tweeted out like when the tee times will be. They're basically like, they'll say like four o'clock on Tuesday, whatever day. And then all the tee times are within an hour after that. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's, it's really tough to emphasize how much fun it's going to be. Even if you're not like good at golf, that's not really the point. The point is to go golf and have fun, you know, get out in the sun. Hopefully it's sunny. I guess you never know. Hasn't been recently. Uh, also, uh, want to give a shout out to Breckenridge Brewery. Whew, like I said, went to the Avs game yesterday. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Lost my voice, mostly cursing out Ryan Reeves. Not a fan of that guy. Uh, but wouldn't have been nearly as much fun, and I wouldn't have been nearly as helpful for the Colorado Avalanche if not for those good company seltzers. Um, what I had, I, I really like the the peach I had before the game. Um, really like the. Uh, I didn't have an apple pear. What was the other one I liked? Well, oh, the honeydew, of course, the honeydew. You always forget about it because, like, in your head, you think of, like, all the fruits. You're like, apple. Oh, they have apple pear. I don't. That wasn't it. S strawberry. Do they even have it? I don't even think they have a strawberry. It's like a strawberry. And to get to the fruit honeydew, it takes a while. That's not a fruit that comes to mind easily. It is a really good seltzer, though. Um... Definitely peach and honeydew were my favorites yesterday. Uh, all of them, though, really can't go wrong. Uh, you should uh, you should definitely get some of those. Um, I've actually had friends say that they've converted over um, because they heard from me, obviously, that they're good. Um, but now that's like their seltzer. And obviously, it's my seltzer now, too. Um, all sorts of different things you can get from Breck. They've got the Avalanche beer, which is just like a classic beer. Strawberry Sky, great summer beer. You can check all that out on their website. Uh, you can find these products basically anywhere, um, especially if you live in Colorado, basically anywhere. But if you want to be sure that what you're trying to get is available, go to the beer locator at breckbrew.com. It'll tell you exactly where you can pick up any of the products. Also... um. DraftKings, oh, I'm not allowed to say that yet. Um, it's playoff time. Bigger state or big stakes, bigger promotions. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $5 into $200. That's 40 to 1 odds on any basketball game. And all you have to do is pick any team that is still in the hunt for the trophy. And if that team wins, you'll receive $200 in free credits. That's right. Pick any team that is still in contention, bet $5. And if that team wins, you cash $200 in free credits. All it takes to claim these 40 to 1 odds on the basketball team of your choosing is placing a $5 bet on that team and that team to win. Uh, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR when you sign up and turn $5 into $200 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win the next game. And if they do, you claim $200 in free credits. That's promo code DMVR for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Forgot about that part and then looked back up. Um, yeah, 
getting in the defense. Also, I should have said this earlier, but if you guys want to go back and watch this game, um, there's different ways to do it. You can probably get the whole game from like the Pac-12 website. Let me just say, not not the easiest process. It wasn't for me. I wound up like downloading the app, and then the app said I couldn't watch it, but then I could watch it, and I was just grateful for what I got. Um, easier way though, if you just Google like Colorado UCLA highlights 2020, or not Google it, YouTube it, then in the top five results, probably the number one result, honestly, is going to be like there's these guys who cut up every college football game into like 15 to 20 minutes. And, you know, there's issues with that. Like typically you only see like the the positive plays for the offense or, or like sacks or like some tackles for loss. But, but a lot of what gets left out is just like incompletions or run stuffs for like one yard, that sort of thing. And so, you know, that stuff is important, especially, like, when you're talking about the Buffs' defense, which we're about to do. You would miss some of the important pieces, but obviously it'll basically give you the gist. Makes it more fun to follow along with the podcast, I would guess. Um, defensively, where to start? Um, first of all, obviously, like, a very, very good performance, especially early on. Um a lot of what happened in this game was turnovers, in particular fumbles. Um, I think there were like four or five fumbles from UCLA. Some of them kind of just bad plays. Some of them like, you know, uh, Jamar Montgomery had a, a great play like in the like inside the ten yard line, the the ten yard line. Which here's here's what happened. This will tell you which ten yard line. Um, Jamar, there's like a run. He gets in there, basically like rips the ball out as somebody else holds him up and winds up like at the seven yard line. The Buffs get an easy touchdown. Um, so again, with fumbles, some of it's just on the offense for being bad. Some of it's on having a really mean defense. Some of it's kind of in between. Like there was one where uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson kind of dropped the ball, but it was because I think it was Mustafa was just flying in at his face. It's like, yeah. That'll happen when you see Mustafa coming. Speaking of Mustafa, he played really well. You know, it, you, you forget, even on some of the big plays that UCLA had, Mustafa's four yards into the backfield just pushing the, the guy he's going up against. You know, just, just driving him back into the quarterback's face. Um, he's, he's a really good defensive lineman. He can, he can do those sorts of things, or he can put a little quick move on you and get past you. He was really impactful in this game. You know, there's, there's even other stuff. Like there was one play where it wound up being a delay of game, but right as the ball was snapped, Mustafa was like, when the ball was snapped, he was probably already out of his stance because he just timed it perfectly because he was watching that play clock go down and he sees that it's about to hit zero. He knows if it hits zero and I jump off sides, well, that's delay of game. That's not off sides. If they get the playoff, I'm in the backfield before the play starts. And it's just those sorts of veteran moves and the fact that, you know, he'll get in the backfield. Maybe maybe it's once a game that there's a play like that where he just reads the snap for whatever reason, whether it's playcock, whether it's because the, the quarterback's predictable or whatever. Plus, he'll, he'll get another one where he gets a, a pressure because he's driving a blocker back into the quarterback's lap. He'll, he'll have a few more where he slips by the guy and he's getting in his face. He's going to be tough to replace. He's going to be really tough to replace. Um, it's a loss for sure. We've talked about this plenty, though. You know, there's, there's guys you look to and say, either we need you to step up and take on even more of a role or we need you to step up and now be a contributor on this defense. Guys like like Joshka Gustav across from Carson Wells, he needs to start being dominant. He he played well in that game. I think they credited him with two pressures. Um, you know, it's it's about just doing it every time now for him. Um, you know, Terrence Lang, he had a couple of really great rushes where he's back there, and it, there's one in particular where he gets his like arms up as he's getting on the quarterback like you're supposed to do you know get him up in the passing lane as you like charge forward and you just realize what a what a freak he is you know with those long ass arms just how big he is and how explosive he is 
there's also plays where he gets in the backfield, Dorian Thompson-Robinson kind of rolls out, um, and maybe Terrence jogs when he could be running to get to the ball there, you know? And I think that that's, that's kind of part of the thing for Terrence is getting himself to, to play at 100% on every snap. And I think if he does that, I think that that might be the only switch that needs to happen that turns him into being one of the more dominant players in this league. It could be that that's not quite enough. He might need to be just, you know, a little bit quicker, you know, work on the moves, that sort of thing. But he's close. He's close. Um, the other thing, now might be the time. Part of the reason the Buffs got so much pressure in this game, they're forcing all these mistakes. I think a lot of it was them forcing these mistakes from UCLA. Although, again, UCLA, Dorian Thompson-Robinson in particular, a guy who the narrative is that they turn the ball over a lot. Um, and so that factors in. Um, one of the things, though, like I was saying, that I think really contributed was just how much blitzing they did and how well they covered behind the blitz. You know, it's kind of fun just, like, looking at, so, uh, John Van Deest, actually, he only he only played four snaps all game, but he he blitzed once on a passing play, and that's all we're all we're talking about is these guys blitzing on passing plays. Uh, John Van Deest had one. Makai Blackman did once. Isaiah Lewis did twice. Curtis Appleton did twice. Uh, Christian Gonzalez did twice. Darren Rakestraw four times. Uh, Chris Miller. Seven. It's it's just every play. I thought Tyson Summers, for the most part, called a really good game. Um, sending guys in the backfield, creating havoc for a quarterback who's mis- mistake-prone. You know, it makes sense, especially when, you know, I guess the downside is when you do that kind of stuff, and part of it's that one-gap scheme. There were some plays where UCLA picked up big yards or even touchdowns, Maybe because of the the aggression of the defense, it, it it worked really well to get them up to thirty five to seven. At that point, maybe you do pull back just a little bit more. I don't know. You know, these are the questions that we're going to be having over the next few weeks as we go through this season because that is kind of that was the storyline early on is that Colorado gets up early and then things don't work perfectly from there on out either because maybe they got too conservative on offense, maybe they played too aggressive on defense and let guys buy them. Um, You know, I think that that's something that you watch with Carl Durrell over his time in in Boulder, you know, continuing this season, saying, when is it time to start pulling the foot off the gas? And I don't think that that really happened too much in this game. Um, And maybe that's just a product of all the running they did working, for the most part, late in the game. But... You know, college football is a different game than the NFL. The seven minutes left in an NFL game means a very different thing than seven minutes left in a college football game for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, all these teams are so explosive. Um, there's so much speed. There's so many plays that are designed around misdirection, and you're going up against a bunch of college defenders who will make mistakes that give up big plays, as we saw in this game. Um, and we'll get into some of those. But also, there's the fact that the clock stops so much. There feels like there's a media timeout every change of possession. I mean, there is every change of possession. But even more than that, it feels like. Um, every time you pick up a first down, the clock stops. And so if you're a team trying to get back in the game, you know, where typically there's another 10, 12 seconds that runs off in between every first down, that just doesn't exist because the clock stops, gives you time to get up there, and that, I mean... It'll run off a little bit after they get the ball set, but not nearly as much as in the NFL. And then on these drives that UCLA had, again, most uh, there were a lot of just big plays. But, you know, when you're picking up five first downs, six first downs, well, there's another minute, minute and a half maybe, that doesn't come off the clock in college that does in the NFL. And I think that when you spend so much time in the NFL, you just need to get, get used to that change. You know, it's not so much uh, this is what Carl Durrell is. This is how he treats this and, and how he approaches these situations is wrong. It's more that he still just needs to get back into the college football flow. Again, though, it's something you watch this season. Um, how 
how are those situations handled? And we'll obviously be talking more about this because it happened again um, in, in Colorado's uh, next game, which was Stanford, I believe. And it, it was a theme throughout the season. Um, so, yeah, there's some thoughts on that stuff. Um, what else is in these notes? Um, again, though, the, the defense, they were everywhere. And I guess, you know, let's talk about this play. There's, there's one, I think it was the DTR touchdown run. It was either DTR or a Demetric Felton long touchdown. But, you know, there's, there's a play where Akil Jones, he's, he's in his gap. You know, that's his assignment. And the, I can't remember which one of them it was, but he sneaks right behind him. And, and if there was just a tiny bit more explosiveness from Akil there, he's able to, to, to take two steps quickly, fill that hole the way it needs to get filled. And, Instead of a long touchdown, you're talking about, uh, you know, a three-yard gain, two-yard gain. You know, there's there, not to, like, a pick on a keel. You know, this is an issue, I think, in general with CU's linebackers over the last couple of years, just a general lack of speed. You know, and a lot of these big plays, even in this game, you know, there was one where a keel was in coverage, and there's a, a deep ball that comes in behind him and just, just can't keep up. You know, and that's who he is as a player. You know, we, we talk about the the Broncos linebackers earlier in this podcast. Um, you know, they're graded on what you're asked to do. And there are times where I think Colorado's linebackers were asked to do things they shouldn't have been asked to do. And again, when, when we try to look back at the season, why is Tyson Summers not here? Maybe there's one of your reasons. Um, maybe. So... The lack of speed there, I think, did show up, especially just that that sideline to sideline speed, regardless of who was in at the time. Um, you want more. You just, you just want more. You know, you you you. It'd be nice if if these were the types of linebackers who you say, okay, first of all, you're in there, you can stuff the run. Also, you can flex out in the slot and maybe not like say cover Dimitri Stanley, for example, but at least make it tough. You know, it's. You're you're not letting Dimitri Stanley just beat you every single time there. You can you can provide the threat of being able to do that, um, which is honestly something that Carson Wells I think has. You know he made a couple of plays in this game. First of all, the interception that really changed it. You know I think what they they go up seven zip, and then he gets the interception, sets the offense up inside the ten. You know that's part of the story of this game is that the defense put that offense in really good situations. You know, the offense probably doesn't score, what was it, 40, 48 in this game? 45 in this game? Um, I should, yeah, 48-42 is the final score. They probably don't score 48 in this game, if not for all the help the defense gave them. That's kind of the nature of putting up 48 points, though. And on the flip side of that, you know, this is the game where James Stefanow, he, he had like the 51-yarder that came up short, part of the reason... It sounded like maybe a big reason or maybe a turning point, the, the straw that broke the camel's back when he decided it was time for him to retire. Um, you have a, another Stefano kick get blocked. You've got Nevin Price kick get blocked. At the same time, when we say the defense helped you put up 48 points, you also could have probably gotten up to, what is that, 57 if, if those kicks go through. Now expecting to hit whatever that would be, five field goals in a game, it... Five for five is asking a lot in college football from your kickers. Um, but, you know, it's a thing that happened. Um, what else do we have here? I mean, just to wrap that up, you know, if it's not necessarily even that all of those long touchdowns were on the linebackers. It's that if you had a super explosive linebacker, a game-changing linebacker. Not, I mean, you have Nate, obviously, but if you have another Nate or somebody who maybe even isn't exactly Nate, but somebody who complements Nate well, somebody who could handle the cover assignments and on top of that probably be more of a sideline-to-sideline type of guy, um, maybe you do get, get to some of these guys before they turn into, you know, the 26-yard touchdown, the 65-yard touchdown, the 52-yard touchdown to a tight end. That's, that's the one where... 
you know, Akil, he's going up against one of the better tight ends in the Pac-12. He got beat and got beat bad enough that he couldn't run him down because that's not the type of player he is. It's another 28-yard touchdown. So nothing new here. It's just that for this defense to really take another step, you know, when you, you, you look at what needs to happen, speed at linebacker would go a long way there. You know, being able to replace Mustafa with somebody equally as dominant, tough to do. It would go a long way. Um, if, if Christian Gonzalez can turn into a true lockdown corner because Makai Blackman is just about there already, that's another thing that could kind of sway where this team goes. Um, let's see. Let's get into Christian Gonzalez. So, like I said earlier, you look at you look at the stats, and it says he gave up what one catch for five yards, or, or sorry, one catch on five targets, and it goes for five yards. Um, that's not all that bad. What that misses though is that there was a deep ball that probably should have been a touchdown, where the guy got two steps behind. Christian, and I guess it shouldn't have been a touchdown because he like caught it going to the ground, but he didn't actually catch it. It, it, it he dropped it, and he should have caught it. Um, that changes those numbers quite a bit for Christian. On top of that, though, and this is the bigger concern: the two pass interference penalties, two pass interference penalties downfield, where they, they weren't close. They weren't like borderline calls. You know, there were a lot of pass interference penalties in this game. And, it, and I almost wonder if that's a, a strategy almost for Colorado, especially early on, is to say, hey, you want to throw the ball downfield? We're going to do what we can to just go break that up, to pick it off, to say, or even, you know, hey, DTR, make this throw, put, put this near the guy, and then make us compete for it. But, you know, if, if it does come down to like 50-50, are we giving up this? 50-yard play, or are we just saying, you know what, give him 15 yards? I almost wonder if that was a conversation that was had, was make him make these throws, and if he gets it close, get the ball out. Just make sure they don't catch it. You know, kind of like fouling under the rim. And that's not the greatest strategy, and honestly, I don't remember seeing too many pass interference penalties the rest of the season, but we're going to watch all these games and find out, that's for sure. The thing with Christian Gonzalez is that those were, they were bad, you know? He's getting there maybe a full second early and just bodying a guy. You know, it's not like these little ones where, you know, Darian Rakestraw, who played really well in this game, reminds you, remind you that there is a hole in the secondary that needs to get filled. And, and at the same time, Mark Perry, he, I wonder how much was he even out there? Because I don't remember seeing him all that much. I mean, he played 45 snaps. Um, but a couple times you do notice, I wonder what the numbers say. Yeah, targeted four times, gave up four catches, 59 yards. You know, he's a guy who has the tools to replace Darian Rakestraw. He has, he has the tools to be better than Darian Rakestraw. Is he going to go do it, though? That's kind of the question. Um you look though like Darian Rakestraw. He had a pass interference penalty. It's a crossing route, tough to defend, and he's a step behind. Goes and gets the ball out. Gets there just a little bit early. You know, maybe. I don't know. It's when it is so close, you could say, hey, if things just play out a little bit differently, if if he just can can be there a quarter second later, maybe there's no whistle. You know, it's just a different conversation than Christian Gonzalez in this game where they were penalties, and they were not close to not being penalties. And that's something that needs to get cleaned up, and uh, something we'll follow over the next six weeks while we talk through these games, and something we'll follow this season as Christian Gonzalez. You know, like Mark Perry, he has all of the tools. I mean, when you look at the, the size, speed, length combination, you could say number one corner in the NFL. That's that's in the cards for him. Makai Blackman, as a little bit smaller player, you're saying, hey, number two corner in the NFL. You know, that's more your body type. Um, maybe even a slot guy. There's there's different paths, and he's somebody who's played well enough to put himself in position to, to get there in the next year or two. Christian Gonzalez has all the tools, similar to a Terrence Lang. Put them together. Um, yeah. What else do we have here? Oh, it was the it was the Dorian Thompson Robinson run that Akil Jones just 
it's just like an angles thing. He had a good enough angle that if if he was just a step quicker, he he would have been able to to stop that 65-yard touchdown from ever happening. And that was the one that made it 21-35 and makes you say, "Hey, is this a game again?" Um Nate had a, a a good game. Haven't talked about him at all. There was one fourth down stop in particular. It's like a fourth and two. And he's basically just playing running back. Like, like they just have a man on a man with that defensive line, offensive line. And it's Nate matching the running back. And Nate wins that. Just like Nate always wins that. And we don't have time to talk about how great Nate is every single week. Um, he Nate was great. Nate was great. Um, I think that that's just about it for my notes. Um. Yeah. Well, that was fun. We'll uh do it again next week, talking about the next game, which I'm having trouble pulling up, but I'm 95% sure that that was Stanford. I'm, I could swear it was UCLA Stanford. Oh, look, this will this will do it. Yeah, Stanford, 35-32. Another game where what the Buffs lead by here? They led. Uh, 28 to nine. It turns into a 35-32 game. Don't love it. Maybe that's one where they got a little too conservative. We'll talk about it then, though. Talk about that Monday. Uh, we'll also talk about a couple of the teams that Colorado's going to play um, this season, this week. I'm not really sure what days those will be. Maybe Wednesday and Friday. That'd be like a nice little split up. It doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for today. I'll see you guys tomorrow.